Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. It's good to see everyone here. There we go. There's a little sound. Welcome to Midweek at Calvary Tabernacle. We are glad that you are here with us, and you are here with us on an exciting night as we are launching our new series for January. The series is Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the Promises of God. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God has a promise. He has a promise. And if you've been walking with God for any length of time, then you have reached the place where circumstances, surroundings, things you have no control over seem to be going wild. And you have to close your physical eyes and only look through your spiritual eyes so that you can go back and lean on the promises of God. Sometimes the only strength we have is to draw from the promises of yesterday, just knowing that God is going to bring them to pass. Tonight, we're going to start with Abraham and what it's like receiving the promise. I'm going to take your attention to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read just a few verses Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. If you can set your Bibles down and lift your hands and let's just ask God, Lord, we need you in this place. We're praying, God, that your word would go forth that in this place, God, we could leave here strengthened and encouraged. God, we welcome your word to reach into our lives, to shape us and to mold us, God. We want to leave this place, God, impacted the way you desire us to be. And God, we are thankful for your presence. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said amen. You can be seated. Raise your hand if anyone has ever made a promise to you. Some of you are missing out. Never had a promise. Okay, if somebody's made a promise to you, I want you to raise your hand 
if you've ever experienced what it's like to be on the receiving side of a broken promise. Everyone, almost everyone. It's, it's very common for us in life to have people tell us things that should happen. They promise it. They declare it. We get excited about it. We're looking forward to it. But then it never comes to pass. We've all been on that side before. Unfortunately, the longer that we live, the more promises are made and promises are broke. As we get older, we become more skeptical or jaded when someone makes us a promise. We just don't know based on our experience. Can I take this serious? Is this really going to come to pass or is it just another empty promise? Now, if you're a parent, you've probably been in this position. If your kids are four or five years or, or older, you've heard this. You have seen your child's eyes, puppy dog face and all, as they look you in the face and, and they begin to beg, please, please let us have a puppy. Now, listen, if you're not a parent yet, there is begging that your kids do, but it pales in comparison when they reach the age of begging and asking for a dog. And everything comes out. They pull out all stops. And then they follow it up with, with we really promise if, if you give us a puppy, we promise that we'll walk them, we'll feed them, we'll take them out and give them a bath. But if you've been there and you've given in to this, then you know that the truth is, without your assistance, that poor pup wouldn't have seen a bowl of water or a bath in weeks. Promises. Promises. You know, I have a beef with a brother Galleon. Part of me feels like it's not the right place to do this. I was free because although I enjoyed a as a child, a dog, all my time, when I became older and an adult, I reached this place where I grew allergies, was allergic to dogs. So my wife was allergic. Believe it or not, my kids are allergic. And so while I would tell them the stories of of my man's best friend and all the times I had with my dog. And I would say to my kids, every kid deserves a dog. They need it. I meant that, but I also said it knowing. I'll admit that they're not in this room. Knowing that we could never have a dog. We had tried different dogs just so that the kids could see that we all get puffy eyed and can't breathe. And we've given them back, and it just solidified for our family. We're never getting a dog. And then Brother Galleon and Sister Galleon. Get a toy poodle. And the kids bring the question up once again, probably provoked by, 
Dad, can we just borrow the dog and see how it goes this time? And you know, by this time, I'm like, yeah, I'm encouraging it. Let's get the dog. We'll bring it over. It'll fail. This will end one more time. So we borrow their dog, the precious little thing that it is. We take it home and we keep it for a little while. And can you believe there was no reactions? Everyone was fine. I was tempted to fake a reaction. <laughs> and so we give the dog back and, and you can predict and just use your imagination to know what I went through for the next few weeks. My kids, both of them agreed. I have a 10-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter. That never happens. Forgo all Christmas gifts for a puppy. So you know what we got coming next month. A puppy. You know, do you know, I'm about to wreck your world right here. Did you know that people that have puppies or dogs when they're grown, when they take them for a walk, they follow them and they're carrying a bag. Do you know what that bag's for? It's not even biblical. I'll take you to Genesis 1. After everything's created, all the animals have been made. God turns to Adam and says, you have dominion over it all. And here we are, 2022, following the animals with a bag, waiting for them to get done. I'm just telling you, I'm a man of the cloth, and I'm staying true to the scripture. I will feed it. I will water it. I will not. We draw the line right there. Man, I feel better. Do you feel better? Brother Gallia? I feel like a weight was just lifted. It was necessary to get through this message tonight. <laughs> As we grow up, we grow to realize a promise made is not always a promise kept. Humans do not always keep their word. But scripture says, God is not a man. He is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? According to 1 Kings 8, there has not failed one word of all his good promise. We can rest assured that if God has spoken it, he will make it come to pass. We draw our strength from that. 
Now, I realize we struggle because as human beings, we're in a relationship with people at work. We're in a relationship with people at the grocery stores. We're, we're used to politicians. There is a time when they're running campaigns where almost everything we hear is a promise with no intention to keep it. Can you see why people get jaded? We can see why people are bothered by that, but not so with God. He's got promises for us. And we're going to take a look right here at Abraham and what it looked like when God called him. For Abram, he woke up and that day was the same as every other day. He got up, he got himself ready. He looked at his list of chores because every wife has a good list of chores for their husband. Decided, okay, I got to take care of this for the livestock. I may need to tuck some things in over there. I might need to get some, some animal skins to fix that area. And he just went through his list as he was preparing for his day. He didn't know what was going to happen. He wasn't expecting it to happen. He wasn't prepared in the sense that he woke up and he just knew today's the day. God's going to speak to me. Put on his best robe and his, his best sandals and he creased everything the best that he could and he just got prepared and got everything cleaned up and shaved And because you know if you're going to meet God, you have to be clean shaven. Or maybe not. So he was, but he wasn't like that. He wasn't prepared and ready to say, okay, God, I've got everything in order now. I look my best. I am prepared for you to show up. It is the right time for you to make your entrance and speak. It just wasn't that way. God didn't handle it like that. He showed up to Abraham when Abraham wasn't expecting it at all. And he spoke to him and he called him for a purpose. He made promises unto him. He was asking him to leave his home, to leave his country, to leave his father's house, to leave his farm and to start walking where God was going to lead him. He didn't give him turn by turn instructions None of that was given. It was all expected that God asked Abram just to trust him and to begin to go, and he would show him where to walk. Now, if we're talking about God making a promise, I think it's important for us to know who was it? What kind of person was Abram that God would call him and make this great promise unto him? Well, he was from Ur of the Chaldees. It was his native land, but it was a very idolatrous country. They worshipped false gods. In fact, Abram's father, of whom he lived with, worshipped false gods. His household worshipped false gods. And there is no indication that Abram did any different. In fact, I have every indication from Scripture and Joshua 24 and other areas that Abram likely was the same as his father and his family. That when God spoke to him, he was in the middle 
of a practice of worshiping false gods. You mean that God chose a sinner to carry out his promise? Well, let me ask you this. Is it not a familiar fragrance? This seems familiar to me. If this is the case, if God would call somebody that was lost, if he would call somebody that was a sinner that smells familiar, remarkably similar to what we know about God in the New Testament. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now you got to admit, reading about Abram receiving God's promise and then thinking for a moment, hold on, God reached out to this guy that was lost, this guy that was worshiping false gods and called him to be the carrier of this great, incredible promise. God's going to make him great. God's going to make his name great. He's going to lead a nation. He's going to bless all the families of the earth. That, that felt strange, but it felt good to know that while we in this room were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He reached for us. He called for us while we were in the same condition that Abram would have been. That feels good. How come it doesn't feel so good when we think about the father of the faithful being in that same position? Listen, God did not use Abram as a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he initiated the call to Abram while he was a sinner. John 6, 44 says this, no man can come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. He's saying that if we come to Jesus, it's only because God initiated it first. It's only because God was calling for us that we ever found our way to an altar, that we ever found our way to forgiveness, that we ever found our way to baptism, that we ever found our way to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was God taking the first step in reaching for us like we witnessed God taking the first step in reaching for Abram. It's an incredible lesson we can learn in the text by contrasting Noah and Abram. Noah was used by God to save the world, to preserve a people, preserve the animals. So that's why God wiped everyone else out. There would be the ability for a fresh start. Noah was a righteous man. Then we have Abram, who God uses once again to save the world so that he can be a blessing to all the families upon the earth. We know that that fulfillment doesn't come through Abram, but through Jesus Christ. But it began right here with Abram. And so we can see it playing out. On one hand, God used a man who was righteous to do a great work. On another man, on another hand, God took a man who was a sinner. His faith allowed him to become righteous and used him to do a great work. Both men were made righteous only by God. Noah was only righteous because of his love and commitment to God. And so he fell in right alignment under the umbrella of God's righteousness. Abram, once he left where he was at 
and started following God and obedience to God and walking with God, he found himself under the umbrella of God's righteousness. And so here's what I want us to recognize from this. It doesn't matter which one of these people you are. God has a promise and God has a plan for your life. In fact, I find it humorous, right? This day and age, we think we got it all together. We just know it. We dress good. We drive nice cars. We feel good. We got good jobs. Even the jobs that are bad are better than most people in most countries. We can get to the point where we just think we've got all of this figured out and how it's supposed to work. And God says, listen, look at how I do things. I'll use a righteous man and then I'll raise up a sinner over here and I'll send him to do righteous work. It's incredible to me, incredible to me, because I believe that in this moment when God called Abram, that was his turning point. Abram was doing his daily chores and he heard a voice and it was a faint voice maybe and he couldn't determine what it was or who it was in the beginning, but he heard a voice deeper than his wife's voice and so he listened for a moment. He heard it. God was speaking to him. It became very clear that this was the voice of God. It was his voice. And Abram stopped in that. Here's how I see it going in Abram's mind. He heard God's voice. And so when he heard God's voice, he ran that through the filter and the process of his mind against every other experience that he had had in his life. He had never heard the voice of the idols. He had never heard the voice of the false gods. Everyone else that his family worshipped and that his country worshipped and that he worshipped, they had never heard from them. And when he took what he was experiencing with God in that moment and compared it to everything else, it was a no-brainer for him. It doesn't make sense for me to follow you when you've got telling me where I'm going. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But neither does me hearing your voice from the heavens. And so when I compare that with what I've experienced, the decision became easy for Abram. The truth about God is this. God blesses all people who have faith in him. If you've been here and you've been walking with God for 20 years and you've been maturing and God can trust you because you are in alignment and you are a righteous individual in God's eyes because you're falling underneath his blood and underneath his covering, then you should be excited to know that just like Noah, God can count on you and he very well will call on you to do a work for him but maybe you're in this room where you've never lived for God. You've never worshiped him. You don't have a track record. You're still trying to figure out what we mean when we say God or when we speak the name Jesus. You are in a position where God is calling. And if you will hear his voice, he is wanting you to act by faith to act by faith and to follow him so that he can use you to the degree 
that he would use anybody else. No question about it. God's first command came coupled with God's first promise to Abram. I will make you a great nation. God begins to define for us the working arrangement of this calling. I'm asking you to go to a place that I will show you. And if you will go to the place that I am showing you, if you will do your part in this agreement, you'll, you'll step out by faith and you'll walk, then I will do my part, which only I can do. And I will bless you and I will make of you a great nation. Nothing that Abram had experienced up until this point would have led him to believe that he could be a great nation. Nothing about his life, nothing about his livelihood. So it was incredible and certainly miraculous to think, okay, I'm going to follow you and you're going to make of me a great nation. It's important to know that when God is working in our lives, he's wanting us to work with him. He's wanting us to work in conjunction with him. He's asking us, hey, I want to bless you. I want to do something great in your life. I want you to be a great nation, but I need you to do your part. I need you to step out and walk, and I need you to walk by faith. Well, walking doesn't seem that hard. No, it doesn't, except I don't know where I'm going. And God's saying, no, you're, you're doing what I asked you to do, and that was to walk. You walk in the rest of it, I will do. I will direct you. It's one thing to be the mayor of a city or even the governor of a state or a province, but to be the figurehead of a nation, a great nation. I mean, I've never even been the captain of a team. Some folks are probably laughing. You've been in the same spot not very athletic, never been the captain of a team, certainly never been on a tra trajectory to be the leader of a great nation. What an honor it would have been. But for sure, Abram would have known that if this is going to happen, it's going to be by a sovereign act of God. But God wasn't finished. It's like one of those cheesy infomercials, but it's serious. But wait. But wait, I've told you a piece of it. I've, I've given you some great news, but wait, there's more. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Anyone ever been picked on as a kid? Well, now no one wants to, everybody before was like, I got promises. You've probably been picked on as a kid. You've blocked it out. It was a painful memory. It would, how exciting would it have been for God to say, listen, those people that are kind to you, they bless you. I'm going to bless them. But that joker that's stolen your lunch money the last three weeks, I got him. <laughs> His number has come. Abram is feeling mighty good at this point as he's hearing the promises of God. Just when he thought that it was too good to be true, God just continued 
to expand what he was going to do in his life. That is how it works most of the time with God. Like he hits you with something that seems unbelievable. You're thinking, God, there's just really no way that that can be what you have in store for me. That can't be the promise for me. The the things that I've done in my life don't measure up to get me ready or prepared for what you're really asking me to do. And God says, no, that's you. I really want you to be that. And right when you get your mind wrapped around that, boom, he hits you again. And it's with something even greater. Because you were willing by faith To trust that he could come to pass with that first part, God continues to build for Abram what these blessings are going to look like. Why? Why was all these blessings coming his way? Where was all of this coming from? It's because God was looking for a man that he could bless to bless others. He chose Abram. And his plan from the beginning was to bless Abram so God could bless others through him. You know, sometimes a large part of what God is doing isn't just for you, it's for others. I'd love to think, okay, God, you just love me. I got to be really special in your eyes for you to be doing what you're doing for me. And God's thinking, yeah, I do like you. But that person sitting three rows over in the other pew, I'm trying to get through you to give them a blessing. I want to use you to reach into their life and to make an impact for them. They don't really know about me yet. And while you're walking in my blessings and being a light, I'm going to let it shine over there so they can experience a little bit about what that is like. He wants to bless others. Through us. God wants to use you. You know that? He wants to use you. Some folks are Bible college students in here, and your mind's already wrapped around that. You're paying $3,500 a semester because you believe God wants to use you. Other of us are not called necessarily into preaching ministry. We love God. We want to live for God. We want to do good for God. But you need to know that God wants to use you. God wants to use you so that he can reach other people and be a blessing unto others. God wants your life to matter for more than just yourself. When I think about that, my mind immediately goes to the greatest promise of all. Salvation. Right? The new birth. What's greater than that? What's greater than God washing away my sins? What's greater than him forgiving me of everything I've ever done? How exciting is that? Gosh, I remember getting baptized and and I I went home and I got home and everybody's in the kitchen gambling and cussing and and fussing and and just having a good time. And and you couldn't wipe the smile off my face if you wanted to. A little baptismal certificate. Somebody asked me about this. No one cared. But it didn't matter that they cared. I was just so excited. And so when we look at the salvation experience, we look at what God has done in our lives. That experience in and of itself is what God wants to show us. I give it to you. Like we read in Acts chapter 2. Then Peter said unto them, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And when we look at John 3, 5, we understand that this experience that's being described in Acts chapter 2 is necessary for our personal salvation. He answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So that blessing and that promise of God that we experience through conversion and through the new birth experience, it's real. And it's for us. It's necessary that Juan Lopez experience that. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. So that I can make it to where God has for my eternity. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we realize there's more to it than just that. He said that after you receive the power, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be a witness. You shall be a witness. You shall be a witness Unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Why is he blessing Abram to the degree that he's blessing him? So that he can bless his life and so that his family can be better than every other family? No. No. In fact, I don't know that Abram would get all of those things if it wasn't for the impact that it would have on everyone else. What am I saying? I'm saying that the blessings of God will be limited in your life if you think it begins and ends with you. But my goodness, will the heavens open up and the rain fall from above if we are willing to let God's blessings touch our life and then overflow into the lives of everyone else we come in contact with. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. God told Abram to leave his home and his relatives. He told Abram, do you see the missing part? He didn't tell Sarai. How do you think that went? He's in the tent. He just got done talking with the big man. He's packing everything up. He's getting it all ready. Everything is going. He's so excited. He's so pumped. He's forgot to say anything to his wife. And then she walks in. So what are you doing? Oh, babe, you ain't going to believe it. God spoke to me. He's going to make my name great. And she's thinking, isn't that what every man thinks God's going to do with him? He's going to make us great nation. He's going to bless, blah, blah. He pours it all out. And she's listening. Interesting enough, although she didn't hear it from God, she believes her husband and follows after him. What a hard sell that must have been. But he convinces her and she follows. Let me say something to the college students. It is critical who you marry. It's critical. Next to my choice to follow Christ, the next greatest decision of my entire life, I don't second guess at one time, was to marry Janae. There's no question about it. Because Janae has proven 
over and over again as God asked me to do ridiculous things. Ridiculous. That she will walk by my side down any path that God should lay before us. Any path. What would it have been like for Abram had she popped in there and be like, no, uh-uh, I'm not going. I'm cool with like the idols. I'm not so concerned about the voice from heaven. I kind of like being around family. I kind of like what we've established here. Let me speak to the wise for a moment. It is right that you follow your husbands as they follow Christ. It is right that you trust them, that you follow them, that when they come to you with a dream from God, you don't destroy it. When they bring something to you that God gave to them, that you trust them enough to allow that to blossom. Look, if they're crazy, if it was just what they ate for lunch, it'll show itself pretty soon. You won't be stuck with it forever. It'll fall apart. You don't have to say, I told you so. But, but it will fall apart. But men, let me tell you this. We need to be spiritual husbands that live in such a way that when we go to our wives with a story from God, they don't even have to doubt us. They just know if my husband says he heard from God, then they trust it and they believe it. That's the foundation between the marriage, a husband and a wife that's necessary in order to be used like God wants to use us today. Here's a problem. Abram, although it seemed that he fully trusted God, he did not fully obey. God's commandment was clear. Leave your father's house and your father's family. I don't know what it was about Lot, his nephew, that he just felt like he had to take care of him. He just felt like it was necessary for him to take him along with him. And so he did. And it's very short into the story that we realize that there are some challenges, some red flags for Lot. When it came time to separate and to, to pick some land because their herdsmen were feuding, Abram did the righteous thing and the right thing and said, you pick. And he picked his land and he left Abram with the leftovers and the Bible says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Pitched it towards Sodom. And eventually, it began that way, and eventually he moved his family into Sodom. I want to make a side note. When they were overtaking the promised land, and Joshua was leading them, and they went into battle against the the first city there, and they overtook Jericho. There was a lot of communication between God and Joshua on how this battle was to go down. There were specific rules given to him about things that the soldiers could not take for themselves. Joshua shared that with the men, but there was one man who took of it anyways. He took of it anyways, and because he took of that, the very next fight that came up where it should have been a really small group. They only sent a few thousand men to go to battle because it was going to be so simple. So simple. They went to fight and those folks slaughtered them. 36 men 
36 faithful men lost their lives because Achan chose to disobey what God asked of him when they defeated Jericho. Here's what I want you to understand. In chapter 7, verse 21 of Joshua, we read Achan recanting the story after he's been caught. Look at what he says. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in my tent. This is how it always works. I'm going to help you out so you can avoid getting yourself in this trouble. In a time when they should have been celebrating, in a time when it should have been victorious, they were lamenting the loss of 36 men because this man first saw, then he coveted, then he took. It's that same sequence every single time. Nobody takes something that they haven't first coveted, and no one covets something that they don't know exists. We see it, we covet it, we take it, and it destroys us every single time. Not just here. You could back up to Adam and Eve, and we won't dive into it, but look at what her biggest problem was. Man, her first mistake was hanging out around the tree. You know you can't have it. You know God said no. Then stay away from it. Why do I stay away from it? Because you've seen what happens. When you get close to it, your eyes get on it, you start noticing it, it looks good. Then you covet it, then you take it. Then everything that God's wanting to do begins to unravel. Avoid it. Stay away from it. You don't see it. You won't covet it. You won't take it. We must obey God completely. God does not grade obedience on a curve. Partial obedience is still disobedience. God is not impressed when we are at 99% in our obedience to him. Disobedience will cost us every single time. With Abram, God kept all the promises he made to him. He took a lot with him, but God kept all the promises that he made to him. But Abraham ended up fighting battles he was not supposed to encounter. He fought with the sword once and fought in prayer the other time to save Lot's life. You see, God knew from the beginning that Lot would not be like Abram. And if Abram had obeyed God fully, he would have avoided unnecessary battles and heartache. We too need to obey him completely. No, 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 it's not a sin. No sin. No, it's a sin. I'm good. I'm good. No sin. Mm -mm. Okay, it's not a sin. It's not a sin. But is it beneficial? Does it help me in alignment with what God is wanting to do? Right? That's the question we ask. Right? I don't want to fight unnecessary battles. I don't want to experience unnecessary heartache. 
I don't want to be that guy. I actually like being joyful. I like being happy. I like feeling good. Okay? It might not stop me from getting to heaven. God may still keep that promise, but if it causes me heartache, pain, and misery while I'm here on earth waiting to get to heaven, then it's not worth it. It's not worth it. God is not erratic. He does not bark orders just to watch us sweat. As a good father, he knows what is best for us because only he knows what is ahead of us. Abraham received the promise by faith. It took 25 years from the promise to the time of Isaac's birth for them to have that son that was to carry things on like God said. 25 years of waiting. 25 years of trying to figure out, is it now? Is she pregnant? How you feeling, babe? I noticed you didn't eat very good this morning. Are you no? Okay. Uh, you know, I hate to say this, but you look like you are put on a little weight. No? I, no? Okay, you're not pregnant. I'm sorry. Hey, but 25 years. Right? Sometimes we cry week to week. God, it doesn't seem like it's working out. It doesn't make sense. I need it now. But he waited 25 years. Now I'm going to tell you, the faith is a tricky tightrope. You walk it the best you can, but there are two sides you can stumble on very, very easily if you're not careful in walking in obedience to God. Some people, they confuse laziness with faith. God makes them a promise so they feel like they don't have to do anything. God will do it all. They call waiting on God but God is waiting on them to do what they can until he will do what they cannot. He's requiring something of us in order to make it happen. Now, Abram didn't have that problem. No, he wasn't sitting still. He got so frustrated that he didn't have this baby boy that he wanted, that he went on ahead and had his wife's servant and had a baby there. He thought, you know what? God hasn't made it happen yet. I got it. He needs my help. Anyone else ever struggled with that a little bit? Like, God, I've been waiting on this promise, but I see this open window. I see this path I can take that could really expedite the process. Let me help you out, God. No. No, it doesn't work. Abram. He rushed into it. He had this baby. Mm. Tightrope of faith. Ishmael was his name, and he is the father of the Arab nations. Isaac is the father of the Jewish nations. Because of Abram's disobedience, both families, 4,000 years later, are still feuding. Oh, it's not going to matter much. It's not going to make a big difference. I got you. I got you, God. I'm going to make all this work. Here's Ishmael. And for generations after generations after generations, 
thousands and thousands of deaths still feuding. Stand with me. We started off this way, in this way. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God has a promise. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your promises in our lives. God, we ask you that as we leave this place, you give us the strength and the courage and the patience and the endurance and whatever it takes for us to run this race by faith. God, give us the ability to walk by faith, to know when we should go forward and when we should sit still. God, I pray that you lead us as you give us these promises in our lives, that you let us know when we need to put our hand to it and when we need to take it back. God, we thank you for your blessings. We're honored to serve you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.